This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Maury Marks, president and CEO of Quorum Information Technologies, Inc. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is QIS on the TSX Venture and QIFTF on the OTC Pink. Quorum is a North American SaaS software and services company providing essential enterprise solutions that automotive dealerships and original equipment manufacturers, OEMs, rely on for their operations. I've known of Quorum for a while now, and they recently jumped back on my radar again when they announced a new addition to their board of directors, Damian Leonard, uh, who's president of Pine Tree Capital, uh, which we talk about today. And so I invited Maury on to better understand the business as well as their four enterprise solutions, Quorum's dealership management system, DMS, dealer mine, CRM, Autovance, and accessible accessories. Balancing their desire to accelerate organic growth in the business via cross-selling their solutions to existing clients and how that in turn speeds up their ability to be more acquisitive. Their current market penetration, they're well-known in Canada and looking to expand further into the US, plus how they will do that, and Maury's three to five-year vision for the company and inflection points that will get them there. With that, Please enjoy my conversation with Maury Marks, president and CEO of Quorum Information Technologies, Inc. And one last thing before we get to our interview today with Maury Marks from Quorum, the company asked that we share their forward-looking statement and disclaimer slide uh, for the video version, and then also a short disclaimer from the company for the audio version. So real quick, here we go. On behalf of Quorum Information Technologies, Quorum would like to remind everyone that certain statements made in this podcast are forward-looking in nature. These include statements involving known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors outside of management's control that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed in the forward-looking statements. Quorum does not assume any responsibility for the accuracy and completeness of the forward-looking statements and does not undertake any obligations to publicly revise these forward-looking statements to reflect subsequent events or circumstances. For additional information on possible risks, please refer to Quorum's annual MDNA dated December 31, 2022 on the CDAR website. Maury, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Oh, thanks for having me. Doing great. Doing great. Very good. Well, it's great to have you on here. You know, look, I think I, I think I've known the Quorum story for a while. I, I think it's been talked about in the Microcap Club a little bit here and there. So, you know, look, it's uh your time came and now you are here. Let's do this. So that <laughs> so my first question that I always ask everyone on here in uh and I didn't prep you ahead of time for this, so I'm getting you right on the spot. But can you start us off with that one line that best describes Quorum? Uh, product suite for franchised automotive dealerships across North America. Beautiful. That's very nice. All right. So now, now, we'll, now we'll dig into the history and stuff. So, you know, I, I want to take a look back at Quorum's history. Maury, when was the company originally founded and what was the original thesis for its founding? 
Yeah, so we were founded a long time ago. We're 25 years in business now. So the the thesis, well, maybe I'll, I'll talk through the history and explain the thesis as I go along. Um, well, when we originally started the company, we were looking at building an ERP for a car dealership, right? Same dealership you'd buy a vehicle at, get your vehicle serviced at, uh, which is a fairly complicated business because they sell cars, they service cars, which means they have a parts inventory, they got to manage technicians, they have to do all the accounting, all the CRM, and then of course they have to integrate to the factory, so the the GMs, to the Toyotas of the world as well. You know, I I, I think if you know, looking back on it now, if we knew how much work it was when we started, we might have picked a different vertical. But but here we are, uh, a number of years later. Um, so we were building an ERP for car dealerships. My background is I grew up in a dealership. My parents owned a dealership. I have uh, my CA or CPA uh, articled with Deloitte and Touche, did a whole bunch of systems work with them. So I had a background in automotive, in accounting, and in systems and brought all of that together um, to work on this. And um, and so we're building away on the ERP system. It's called a DMS in the automotive space, dealership management system. And we were getting ready to install our first dealerships. And as we were installing our first dealerships, we came across a big realization. And that was every dealership we went to had multiple other third-party solutions. So we would always have to build integration to all of these different third-party solutions. And as we installed our DMS and as we built it out, we kept looking at it and going, well, here we are building all this integration. Why don't we just start building some of these third-party solutions? Why are we why are we doing a heavy lift on integration when we could be instead spending that time building a third-party solution? So after a number of years of doing our, our installs, we started actually building out our own third-party solutions. We started with a sales CRM solution. We built out a service lane tool um, that did walk-arounds, mobile inspections. And we built out an, a communicator, uh, what we called a communicator tool, which did uh, emailing, texting, instant messaging to the to the consumer to let them know simple things like when your car's ready for pickup, stuff that dealerships are terrible at, right? They're terrible at communicating to, to their customers. And so we were helping that. And as we built these different tools out, what we were realizing is we were really solving some key problems for the dealership, but we were also helping them drive revenue into their business. So we weren't just a cost of doing business anymore. We were actually bringing revenue in. We were increasing customer sat. We were doing some mission critical things for the business. In fact, the solution that we built that was the mobile service lane solution was driving in $60,000 of revenue per month per store. So it was really helping, helping the dealerships out. But we also got to the point where we couldn't just keep building and building and building and building on different pieces um, it, it became difficult to manage and we paused and we did a big study uh, uh, across the entire automotive network out there. And we realized the average dealership has 25 different solutions to run their business, right? And I go back again to the complexity of their business, a sales department, a service department, a parts department, maybe a body shop. They've got all these different competing needs. And so the average store is up to 25 different solutions. So imagine running your dealership, 25 solutions, some of which integrate, some of which don't, different reporting systems on different solutions and trying to try to keep all the plates spinning, so to speak. Um, 
we were at four <laughs> solutions, our DMS and then the three others that I described. And, and knowing that we, there was a long ways to go, we started down a path of first off partnering with different companies and having special partnering relationships with them. But that quickly morphed for us into an acquisition strategy. And we completed our first acquisition uh, back in 2017, uh, a company called Autovance. Uh, then we completed another acquisition in 2018, a company called DealerMine. Completed another one, um, Oasis, and then another one, Accessible Accessories. And then we just completed our most recent acquisition, VIN. Um, what that did, the accumulation of those acquisitions, was it gave us uh, 13 different solutions. So we're now at 13 of the 25 solutions. And it really gave us quite an integrated, nicely integrated product suite for the dealership, but a, an integrated product suite of best of class products um, because we were acquiring these companies and they were leaders in their respective categories that they were providing through to the dealerships. Very good. And thank you for that full overview there. That gives us a lot of meat to work with right now. So I think probably the first question I have following up from that, you know, what is the current market penetration or where are you actually selling? Like where, where are your dealerships that you're mostly working with right now? Yeah, so we're we're selling in both the Canadian marketplace and the U.S. marketplace. Um, we are much better known in the Canadian marketplace. In fact, ninety-two percent of our revenue comes from Canadian franchised and independent dealerships, but mostly franchise stores. Um, and, and and then, as a consequence, eight percent from the U.S. Um, in terms of market penetration in the U.S. marketplace, we're less than 1% of the dealers. Um, in the Canadian marketplace, we're over 40%. Um, so we're a well-known brand in the Canadian marketplace. In the U.S., lots of room for growth. I was going to say, what's what's holding some of these the U.S. dealers that you're probably already speaking with back from now transitioning everything that they have to the quorum system? Yeah. So the, the U.S. marketplace always a, a much more complex marketplace than the Canadian marketplace. And and in the automotive space, it's more complex because more banks that you might deal with, more different companies that you might buy, uh, warranty insurance for vehicles, uh, just more tax jurisdictions and more complicated tax rules. Uh, you have to build integration that you build to the manufacturer in the Canadian marketplace might be different in the U.S. marketplace. And in a lot of cases, we have to build that integration with the manufacturer before we can sell to U.S. dealerships. So, you know, it's a, I guess it's been a combination of, of product readiness and always continually working on product readiness uh, for the U.S. marketplace. It's been, an, uh, you know, another piece of it is brand recognition in the U.S. marketplace and how do you go to market and what kind of investments do you need to make to go after the entire U.S. marketplace or even very specific regions in the U.S. And, and it, it's just, it's, it's a big investment. And so we've been doing it very careful steps at a time. I was going to, I mean, yeah, like, look, it, it, when, when you look at the U.S., it's like, all right, well, where do we go? Even, even if, yeah, it just, I, that that's a very complicated question that I'm sure you've been racking your brain about. It's like, all right, do we go, do we start in the Northeast, work our way down? Do we start right. from the South right. up? I don't know. You know, it's a, that's a tough equation. I mean, what's, when you're looking at, all right, let's, let's focus on Canada specifically. You know, as you yep. said, you have, you have a big, big uh, portion of your market share there, you know, so tell us what maybe that sales cycle was like and how you built it up to 
that kind of right. market penetration you got to. So, cause maybe that can project out like, Oh, okay. Well maybe they can yeah. replicate this model in some sense in the U S yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there's different ways to replicate the model. And so, yeah, when I, if I talk through um, the acquisition history, that'll, <laughs> that'll make it clear the, um, on how we can go about uh, a, a similar path in the U S marketplace. So all of our acquisitions to date that we did. So right. Five of them in the last six years, they each of those acquisitions was a meaningful growth point for us from both a number of dealerships and and from a uh, from a revenue perspective. Um, all of those acquisitions were Canadian acquisitions. In two of the cases, they also sold their products into the U.S. So we had to. So now we're <laughs> backfilling that and making products U.S. U.S. ready. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, so for us, and you know, we went from uh, 419 dealerships back in, tw- actually, sorry, we went from 325 dealerships back in 2016 to now we're over 15 with our latest acquisition, we're over 1500 dealerships in 2023. Very good. Some, well, you, yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry. I, with, you're, you're with, with some organic growth, of course, through there, um, but with with a big piece of that being inorganic acquisition growth. Well, it makes sense, right? Like, because you're probably dealing with dealers just like, all right, I got to revamp everything now, you know? Like, so, yeah. I, I, so I understand that that model of like, okay, well, let's look for who are some of the other players in the space that, you know, this could make some sense for. You know, you mentioned also the that right now Quorum has it within your solution set 13 of the 25 solutions that dealerships right. need. Am, am I right on that? Correct. Yep. Okay. So, I mean, that that basically gives you the clear criteria for anybody that's thinking out there, okay, well, this is their criteria for M&A. Like, well, all right, there's the other. My math serves me. I guess there's 12 others right. that need yep. to make that up. So what are these other 12 that you're now looking at and will they help serve with your entree into the US? Yeah. So I'm not going to describe you describe all Maybe not to all you. of them, but yeah, maybe, I'll, I'll, but maybe I'll give some you some key I'll ones. Give, sure, sure. I'll give you some different examples. So um one of the solutions that we that we acquired uh well we acquired the the company and then we built out the solution is a digital retailing solution. Right. Everybody's talking about being able to buy a car online. Um, and so we have a solution to allow consumers to go online and and um, and start the vehicle acquisition, actually go through and, 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 uh, and buy and buy a car online. But there are pieces to that particular solution, as there are to anybody's online <laughs> digital retailing solution that we still need to build out. Um, and. One of those would be how we value trade-ins as an example. Today, we can get, um, if you're going to buy, if you're going to sell your, or sorry, if you're going to buy a car online, you of course want to sell what you're driving. We can give you a trade-in value, but there's solutions out there that will go even further than that. They will actually get you a auction price and an absolute value on your trade-in vehicle. Um, and, and in essence, basically, basically take it to take it to market for you and, and get you an actual price. We don't have a solution like that. That's one of the categories that's out there. And it would be a great, great fit for what we're doing, especially since most of the investments that we're making are on the digital retailing side, ensuring that you as a consumer can buy a car online or have a, have a basically a digital service experience um, as well. And so 
if we're looking at different categories, we're typically looking for categories that are fitting in into those key areas. Now, that isn't to say we wouldn't be interested in other categories. So there's categories out there that of, of solutions out there that do things like help a dealership with tire storage and managing storing tires, um, w- which is a really interesting category to us, especially given that dealerships are always looking for how can they bring a, cu- a consumer back for their next service visit. And if you need to be coming back to get your tires switched, and in Canada, you see this a lot more than you see it in the U.S., right? We have to switch tires for winter season every single every single um, spring and fall in the Canadian marketplace. And of course, in the U.S., in the northern states, you have that same, same requirement out there. Well, a lot of dealerships are moving to storing a, a consumer's tires for them which bring keeps bringing them back. Um, so that'd be another example of a, of a category that we would, we'd have an interest in would be a great fit for our, our product suite. Maury, I was so ready before this call to blame you guys for being uh, hit up by every one of my Toyota dealerships uh, to, to get their hands on my car right now. Um, but I, I'm assuming that one's coming soon, uh, that, 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 that capability. Um, so another question on, you know, basically the, your capital allocation strategy and the growth strategy and, and doing all the, the M&A, what, what's the typical size of some of these acquisitions? Oh my goodness! Our 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 acquisition size to date has varied a lot. So I'm just bear with me here. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some actual numbers. So we've we've ranged in size from uh, revenue wise four hundred thousand dollars to uh, twelve million. <laughs> uh, now in terms of you know more. I guess relevant is what are we looking for going forward? Well, we're, we're looking, first off, we're looking for the strategic fit. That's the most important thing to us. Um, but we keep looking for sort of bite-sized transactions. So what I mean by that is, you know, anywhere that's sort of in that two to $10 million revenue mark, would we be interested in somebody that larger, if especially if it was a great fit for us? Sure, we would. Would we also be interested in, somebody in the from the US perspective so someone that had a US solution that was in one of our categories that we don't have today or maybe one of our categories that we do have today where we don't have a US ready product in that particular category very good and another question i had was on you know the competitive landscape you know if you're looking at at the playing field and you know as you mentioned there's a lot of various folks out there. There aren't direct competitors. Maybe they do one of the 13 things that you currently have, or they're one of the 12 that you don't currently have as part of the product suite. You know, so the way I would formulate is like, who does Quorum aspire to be that's currently out there on the marketplace? Um, Yeah. So, so uh, a tougher question for me to answer because we compete, like you mentioned, we compete on very different, all kinds of different levels, right? We might compete right. on the dealership management system level, or we might compete against another company that has a product suite out there in the marketplace, or we might compete on digital retailing only um, because somebody could buy that solution without buying our, our DMS. Um, two of the the largest competitors that we face are a company called CDK and another company called Reynolds, Reynolds Reynolds. Um, so those two have been in the market in the DMS market for many, many years, but they have expanded their product suites and they have 
they would probably play in just about every one of the 25 categories. There might be a couple that they're missing in. Um, a lot of their solutions, though, aren't as integrated as what we aspire to be. Like, So we're always very focused on trying to give the dealership a really seamless experience between our different solutions. And we're also always aspiring to try to build on one reporting engine. Now that one's tougher to do. So as we acquire a particular solution, yes, we want to integrate it first and foremost, but we'd like to bring their data into one reporting engine because you think about it from a consumer's perspective or from a dealership operator's perspective, they want one place to go from, from a reporting point of view. So, you know, we're, we're taking integration further and reporting further than we would see across you know, those two main competitors that I mentioned, CDK and Reynolds. Absolutely. I mean, of the of the five different, um, I guess, areas for the company, you know, from DMS, the the, the um, auto vans, all, all that stuff. Right. What would you say right now has been kind of the primary growth area? Uh, or been the reason for the most growth in the company, and where, where, which of those areas are you looking to compound upon as well? Yeah, um, so it, it has varied quite a bit. Um, a lot of times when we make an acquisition, we see a, a growth, an organic growth curve that comes off that that particular an, um, acquisition. Once we finish the integration, once we get that particular product to market, so that has always been, <laughs> excuse me, has been um, very consistent across all of our acquisitions. But the market has changed a bit for us, especially in the last few years, as it has for many companies out there. So with the with COVID hitting, dealerships were scrambling, right? They were going through this, this situation where some of them were needing to close down their sales departments. Uh, in, in extreme cases, they closed down their service and parts operation for a period of time. And then they restarted different pieces. Uh, sales, sales was hard to get restarted, so they moved to digital retailing. Service was easier to get restarted and not many of them stopped the service business in the first place. It was deemed critical. Um, and so, so those businesses stayed on, but different waves of COVID had different impacts for those dealerships. Then we came across in the automotive space, vehicle inventory shortages due to chip shortages. We're still sort of dealing with that and we're seeing that come back. And we've also seen you know, higher interest rates, which have put downward pressure on vehicle demand. We've seen part shortages and a few other challenges that are out there in the marketplace. So the reason I give you all that background is probably the thing that's remained consistent for us over the last three years is the products that are most in demand are products in that help the service and parts department, because that has been the most consistent area for the, for the dealership. And it's their highest gross margin area of their business as well. So if we can keep that service department running really smooth or help keep that service department running really smooth for a dealership, we're going to help them manage through whatever sort of challenges are out there. That means to us, our dealer mind brand, which are, where we have a service CRM solution and we have our BDC or our contact center, that's been a high demand product for us. Um, our recent acquisition of accessible accessories, which allows accessory sales on vehicles that might already be in the shop is a, a high demand product for us. Um, so those have been traditionally uh, over the last you know, couple of years, three years, our highest demand products. Now that, we're starting to see a bit of a transition on the sales side in the business. Uh, so the, the sales side for a dealership, the inventory starting to return. 
that is varying by manufacturers. So some manufacturers are really starting to get cars back on lots for dealerships. Others are still struggling a bit, but but it's coming back. And dealerships of, are then having to transition from being order takers on vehicles. Because <laughs> if you tried no. to buy a vehicle in the last two years, it was tough to to having to sell again. And so we're starting to see more interest more demand for our sales related products our auto advanced products or digital retailing things i was going to say is that why is that why you know the company just announced on june 27 2023 about the acquisition of uh, vin automotive technologies was that some of the reasoning behind that acquisition right so vin vin is an automotive marketplace right where dealerships would post all their vehicles and allow you as a consumer to easily find a vehicle and then Inside of our VIN team, we have what we call vehicle experts. So we'll help you through the buying process. And then when you are ready to actually, uh, you're interested enough that you actually might want to take a test drive, they will then connect you with the dealership and, and move you through the process. But that's exactly why that acquisition was was not only an acquisition in a category that was really important to us. An uh, automotive marketplace has been something we've been after for a while, but it's also because demand was starting to return for our sales-related tools because dealerships had to start selling cars again. That was that it was just a, it was a great timing um, as well. Absolutely. By the way, speaking of recent news that the company just put out there, you know, actually, I think this was one of the main reasons I was like, oh, this is this is interesting as well. I mean, I've known the name, but th this yep. was relatively recent was um, you just had an additional uh, added an additional board member uh, is Damian Leonard, right? Yes. From correct. Pine Tree. You yep. know, he just happens to have a, you know, uh, I mean, I'm sure he has his own career that he's very proud of, but he also happens to be the, the son of Mark Leonard from uh, Constellation Software. Right. Many of my audience members definitely know uh, that name and that person yep. as well. So love to hear more about that and how that came all together. Yeah. So, so Damien um, has been an investor in Quorum for a number of years, um, but, but it wasn't until recently that he grew uh, Pine Tree's position uh, within Quorum. So, it, um, so I, I've, I've worked with Damien over the years um, we did an interesting engagement with them sort of pre-Christmas time where we did some work together uh, and, and just just to get their perspective, a little bit more of their perspective on Quorum as a, uh, as a whole and, and understand their point of view better. We've integrated some of their ideas um, and then they they expanded their position um, most recently like in the last in the last month or so. So it made sense that Damien, uh, you know, with, with approximately 25% of owning 20, approximately 25% quorum, it made a lot of sense that we move him onto the board. Um, we already understood his thinking. And so, yeah, he's, he's joining our board and, and uh, here to help us make quorum a, a stronger business. Absolutely. So one, one industry tale, sorry, I know I'm going, you know, here and there and everything. That's fine. But the coffee just hit, you know, um, but but another question I want to ask you is from you know industry perspective. You know I, I was joking with you uh, you know maybe a few minutes ago about how like oh it's because of you guys Toyota's giving me a call. But you know one of the things that we're seeing at least down here in the U.S. is that um, you know there there's a huge backlog of used cars or uh, just the car market is just it's a complete mess. Let's just be let's yep. just call it what it is, right? Um, just demand and all that stuff. You go into any one of these dealerships like. You can't expect to just go there and expect them to have the car on the lot that you're exactly looking for, right? So, right. you know, in from an industry perspective, can you hit on, you know, 
how that might affect Quorum, maybe your overall take on what's going on in the industry, and then how either Quorum is being affected, both on the positive and negative side? Um, yeah, so that's a pretty broad question. So let me, I'll try and break that into sort of pieces for, for us. Um, so the first piece is, is just, I mean, vehicle inventory with, without a doubt, always a big challenge, um, for, for dealerships out there. And from our point of view, um, I guess what we're trying to make sure we're doing is we're trying to make sure that we're building tools that are going to, to bridge the gap between consumers and dealerships. And, and manufacturers and dealerships as well. And, and what we're really trying to be conscious of is, is that consumers have all kinds of different paths that they want to follow to buy a vehicle. Some, con- some consumers don't want to darken the door of a dealership. They'd like to buy completely online. That, that is actually the, the number of consumers that do that is a, a fairly small minority. Um, that, that can complete an entire transaction online. So what we see is we see a hybrid model out there. We see dea- we see consumers that might start online, go in dealership, go back online, go back in dealership, and then finally close the deal. What we're trying to do is make sure we're building tools that accommodate that, that accommodate whatever path a consumer wants to follow. They might want to do it the entire deal in dealership. We're, we're going to accommodate that. So we're just trying to make the buying process for whatever inventory that the dealership has as simple as possible. And then with our VIN acquisition, of course, what we're also trying to do is then expand upon the number of possible leads that a dealership might get and get them really good, highly qualified leads that help them go, that then utilize our tools to go through that that particular buying process. So we're extending out to, to consumers directly. Um, it, you know, exciting acquisition for us. On the service side of the business, I, as I was mentioning before, like that service business is so mission critical to a dealership through whatever economic environment is out there. And so for us, we have tools that that are very focused on ensuring that the shop is full. We're trying to help them book service appointments. In fact, we go not only as far as with tools to help book service appointments, but we also have the contact center, the one that you were talking about that bugs you all the time to actually try and get you as a consumer into your shop and, and get your recalls done, your warranty work done if applicable, um, you know, your tires rotated and whatever maintenance work needs to be done as well. And we're tracking all that, making sure that we're connecting with consumers and 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 then comp- allowing them to complete that particular transaction the best the easiest way possible for them. So another question I have for you, and this is my favorite question to ask on one of my favorite questions to ask on here. And uh, you know, look, I've known Daniello, your your head of IR for a long time, and you know, I know you've gone out there and do done one on ones and meeting with investors, do the company presentations, the whole dog and pony show. And even after folks had a chance to like, you know, maybe get into the nitty gritty a little bit, maybe ask you a few questions, see the presentation, all that. What do what do investors still maybe still get most confused about when looking at Quorum? Hmm. Yeah, a really good question. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I I think understanding our product suite um is maybe a little bit confusing for people. Maybe understanding, you know, how with our product suite, how are we going to market? How how do we how do we um how big are our opportunities within the market? Um that that probably is the area of of 
most confusion, I guess. Okay. I mean, another way I like to ask this is, you know, maybe there's some, what, what are some of the more frequently asked questions you also get that maybe we can address here too? Um, I, I, most of the questions are around sales momentum, right? And, 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 uh, you know, how are we working towards improving organic growth, which starts back in a product suite and, and around our opportunities and, and then around, around improving growth. Got it. Another one of my favorite questions in here, look, you know, we've been talking about the growth, the excitement, all that, but I got to play devil's advocate here. You know, some, some people will be asking about that. So, you know, in your opinion, what would you say are some of the company's downside risks from achieving some of the goals you're hoping to do for the company? Um, I'm, I'm going to go back to back to growth, right? It's just been a bit, I had mentioned before, it's been a challenging environment to sell product into. And, and I feel like, um, you know, our DMS product has in a changing environment is a little harder to sell still can we can complete sales and, and grow that that piece of our business our fixed operations side of our business our service and parts side that's the piece that dealerships are interested in right now and sales has been difficult to sell and so with sales recovering for us um you know what we felt like we were we were sort of we weren't firing on all cylinders to use an automotive analogy because the market demand wasn't there but now we're starting to see some market the dynamics change in the market, the macroeconomics change a little bit. And and we just feel like we're going to be able to start gaining some momentum on the organic sales side of things. And and so that that for us is is uh is a challenging area. Um and and you know one that we're really watching closely. Very good. Another question that I wanted to ask you on here, because when it comes to, you know, you know, I took a quick look at balance sheet, you know, financial statements and whatnot. You're kind of like right there in terms of, yep. you know, near-term profitability, what everybody, you know, beyond just adjusted EBITDA, right? Um, yep. So what would you say is that path to profitability? I mean, I'm probably, I can already assume it's probably the same thing you're going to say or you said for the last couple of answers. But yeah. But also, you know, there is this focus on still being acquisitive to, to grow. So there's this, how do you balance that, you know, investing in or that organic growth and then also saying, all right, but we, this is an acquisition that we probably need to do. And, you know, there's all those costs and integrations and all that stuff that's involved there too. So love to hear right. your opinion there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm going to split that into two different pieces. So, um, you know, one of the things for us that we've changed, um, like you, you talk about, you know, here we, here you are as, as an organization that's, that's, EBITDA positive, um, but would you'd like to see better EBITDA margins, better free cash flow being generated from the business? And we are super conscious of that. So we made a change back late last year where we were going to, um, for a lot of our sales growth, we weren't going to spend uh, as much money as we did on new logo acquisitions. And we were going to leverage more of our cross-sale opportunity that we had within our business because we bought all these businesses and a number of our customers use one or maybe two of our brands, but we've got five different brands out there. So how do we, how do we, how do we um, do a better job of cross-selling? And every quarter we get a bit better at it and a bit better and a bit better. But what we also are able to do is we're able to drive some costs out of the sales and marketing side of our business, but also drive some other costs out of our business just because of a change in, in how we were, we were looking at things. Um, that was intended for us to 
move our EBITDA margins. Um, but we're not done. We're still looking for opportunities across the business on how we could optimize. Um, if you go back and really read through some of our, the information that we that we had even a year ago, we talked a lot about what we called one quorum, where we took all these different divisions that we had acquired and we moved them together into one entity. Well, by doing that, you are then over time able to optimize the business more and more and more. And so now what we're finding is that there's still optimization opportunities out there within our business, still opportunities to move our, our EBITDA margins up. And so that for us is a, is a big sort of continued focus um, for us. Obviously, why we would like to get better EBITDA margins, better free cash flow is the other part of what you asked. And that is, hey, we could then accelerate the M&A engine. Um, and, and, and that's why we have a, you know, a direct interest in that. Right. Because look, you, I mean, look, if there's a strategic acquisition out there that's, you know, maybe a little bit bigger than what, what like, all right, okay, we access capital markets. You can easily tell that story. Like, listen, this makes sense. This is why and all that. Yeah. But for some of those pocket ones, you're like, I'd rather use free cash. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and Vin was that way. Right? Uh, yeah. Right. What was that? That was like less than a million. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. So another question I have for you on the devil's advocate side, probably this is the last one. Um, <laughs> what would you say was a, a mistake or a misfire that you experienced as as CEO that you know happened and you learned from and overcame? Um, I would say that when we one quorumized, I underestimated the amount of effort and the amount of change in the business. And I underestimated the amount of internal focus that would be required to get that completed. Um, it just took an a lot. And, and it was tough to then switch that focus from an internal focus to getting back to our roots, which was very customer centric. Like we've always, every one of the organizations that we've, bought over the years has had one thing in their DNA and it was being really close to their customers and being very customer centric. And when you undertake a one quorum initiative, it, it um, yeah, you take your eye off the ball a bit and we're now pushing really hard to, to get us back to our, as I said before, our DNA. Very cool. All right. So Maury, I think, it, let me see. One more. Actually, this is my last question, but it's a, it's a, it's a doozy. Okay. Okay. Um, Best for last. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Maury, in your opinion, uh, where do you want to see this company in three to five years? And what would you say are some of the inflection points that'll get you there? Yeah. So, so three to five years, um, we have, so there's there's different elements to it, right? Uh, so one of the things that is important to us three to five years is we would like our organic growth uh, to be uh, a higher growth rate than we have today, um, but for it also to be a consistent growth rate and to have our that whole cross-selling machine in that drives a lot of that organic growth to, to just be working uh, at a highly optimized level. And we're doing lots to do that, but uh, but we're just not we're not there yet. Um, we, we would then, of course, like to leverage that to grow more organically in the U.S. Um, but the M and A M and A side that I talked about before, M and A strategy to round out our product suite, we'd like to sort of continue on that pace of at least one per year. 
uh, M&A, and we, we'd like to expand some of that M&A strategy into the U.S. marketplace um, as well. And so, yeah, those are some pretty key elements. We do have a, I'll tell you, there's another element for us and that it's around the uh, manufacturer side of things. I had mentioned that really at the onset quite quickly about building integration to the, to the manufacturers. We'd like to expand our manufacturer footprint and we're working pretty aggressively to do that as well. I was going to say, I saw a release in January about the integration with Nissan. Is that what you're referring to? That And that yeah, that's exactly what we're referring to. So we build integration to the manufacturer for our dealership management system, but we also have integration across our whole product suite. Some products don't require it, but a majority of our products require some kind of integration. Very good. All right. Well, I mean, Maury, we, we covered a lot here today. Is there anything that you it, think we missed? I don't think so. That was, that was a lot. <laughs> Uh, did we great. do a, a thorough examination? <laughs> yeah, I'm, gl- yes. I'm glad you were pleased. You made it out. Um, so actually, the hardest question here is the last one. Uh, you know, where can people go and find more information on Quorum? Yeah, so quorminformationsystems.com um, yeah, is our full investor website. Very cool. Well, Mari, really appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. All right. So do I. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.